There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello. Hello. We're back. We're better than ever as we typically are it's every true. Friday. Yes, we are starting a cult that's grand. I'm Jake. Mitch is in here. He's reading an old letter from David from the military, and he's fixing something with a knife. Yeah, he's working on things. He's trying to make it work. Mitch, I believe in you back there. You're going to fix that piece of electronic. You're going to do it. Um, yeah. But we are back. It is the day after St. Patrick's Day 2022. So, how about that for all you St. Patrick's Day yeah. lovers out there? I bet you're all dehydrated and headachey. Probably. And, uh, you feel bad. Probably a little bit. Yeah, I won't lie. Um, but the, it's our people's culture. The very, very, very good news is we are back with an episode as we typically are. Yeah, on Fridays, usually that's how we do it. So, we are here to tell you guys a little bit about a man named Mr. Cooper. Yeah. Not Cooper. the neighbor, not the mailman, but this guy specifically is he's an interesting specimen to yeah. say the least. And it's not it's not even Agent Dale Cooper. It's not even that guy. No, it's not. No. And in in interesting enough fashion, now tell me if I'm I'm mistaken here. This may or may not be the very first episode we've ever done where the person in question we don't even know their real name. Like I mean real, we don't have like Oh, he did the Zodiac. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That is true. All right, so it's the second version yes, of this. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. The second we, time. Now, to be fair, I mean, as much as we'd like to suggest he very well, that could have been his name. I don't know. It could have been. But chances are pretty high that it's not his real name. Who knows who this guy is? But we are talking about Mr. D.B. Cooper, the ultimate heister before the likes of GTA Five, when it's that was true. you know cool the, and everybody could do it. So much buffoonery in the in the skies here. This guy was a modern day pirate, a pirate of the skies, if you will. He was Captain Jack Sparrow yeah. with a different meaning of the word sparrow. Yeah. How about that? He dressed way less cool than Jack. Yeah, yeah, he was a lot more like physically forgettable. Um, it may have been the point, but yeah, nonetheless, it really, really, really benefited him. In many a different way. It's true. It's true. So how about that? How about that, D.B. Cooper, right? All right, so he was, he was widely known as the man that got away, right? Not not like in a romantic sense. Yeah, not the loving way. You yeah, know. no, he wasn't very attractive from the composite. 
But uh, but rather, uh, he, he had a shit ton of money strapped to his body, and he jumped out of a plane. Isn't that crazy? There's nothing really more I can say about the guy without just telling the story, though. So, on November 24th of 1971, the day before Thanksgiving, right? A mid-40s Caucasian man wearing a black suit, black tie, white shirt, and carrying a black briefcase approached the counter of Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland International Airport. So like we said, just super nondescript clothing. He's just wearing a suit. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Clip-on tie, so I'm told. Which is just way easier. When was the last time you wore a clip-on tie? I've honestly never, and I've, I've always wanted to. That's why I can say it's I've so never easy. have. I so would, much easier. I would very much be interested in a clip-on tie. Yeah. Well, all right, so he had one of those. He uh, he purchased a one-way ticket to Seattle-Tacoma International Airport on Flight 305. Okay. And he just walks in. He orders a one-way. No, No reason for alarm. The flight was uh, to take roughly 30 minutes in total, and he paid for his ticket in cash. A 30-minute flight. Do those even exist anymore? Do, or, like, I don't do know. Do you think? Maybe like LA to Vegas, one of those flights? I don't know. I don't know. You just drive. Yeah, I mean, really. It's literally like a two-hour drive, probably. That's something that I will say. I, I can only speak for you know the Midwest, because that's what I'm familiar with. But pretty much anything under five hours is considered something you can tackle in a day. Yeah. And that considers both ways. Like, if you're going to go somewhere that's about four hours away, like, you could do that and come back to your home in that same day. It'll be a long day. Oh, But yeah. it's totally doable, you know. But, no, it, it can be done, and it, it's done pretty regularly. So the idea of a 30-minute flight, we're talking maybe three hours max yeah, of a drive. that's what I'd say. Because, like, what do a, what a planes go at? Like, 100 and... 1,520 miles an hour, something like that? Uh, they go upwards of like 480 miles an hour. Well, all right. I think I'm thinking of a later part in this story. But uh, Yeah, this time that's true. At this point in time, I'm not entirely sure what the capabilities were. Not sure. We've made a lot of aeronautic uh, advancements. Yeah, that is true. So I, yeah, since I don't, 1971. I don't claim to know that information. Who knows? Also, the ticket was 20 bucks. All right. So, you know, who, who cares? You know, just fly. It's fun. Uh, <clears throat> the only reason that we have the name to impose on this man, right, uh, D.B. Cooper, is the fact that he had to sign some sort of, like, document upon purchasing the ticket. Uh-huh. And he identified himself as Dan Cooper. Okay, just Dan, Dan. Cooper. Dan. Dan the man. Yep. Uh, so once, Dick Scooper. Dick Scooper, huh? All right. <laughs> All right, so, so uh, what's on the plane which is a Boeing 727, he sat in the back and he ordered a bourbon and soda. Again, no reason for alarm. It's all just super chill and nice in the sky. All right. Uh, Weird thing about this flight the day before Thanksgiving, this plane was less than half full. It had 36 people on it with a crew of six. Can you, like, when does that happen? The day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that's, that's insane. That was like the most mind-boggling part of this entire story to me. That's the peak day for being lazy and traveling and maybe wrapping up some work you got to do. Yeah. It's always just a nightmare. But, yeah, half capacity. There were 36 people on there plus six people in the crew. So, in you know, sitting in the back of the plane, Cooper was kind of, uh, he was removed from the rest of the passengers, all right? So, he was kind of sitting by himself just drinking bourbon and soda. The plane takes off at 2.50 p.m. 
All right. And it's raining all day. It's raining real hard. Just mm-hmm. so you know. Just just to get a little little spectacle there in your mind. And shortly after they took off at two fifty, Cooper waves over twenty three year old flight attendant Florence Schaffner. What a name. It's a it Flo- can you imagine a twenty three year old named Florence today? No, I can't. I can't either. I don't even know. I just think of Italy. But uh, so he then gives uh, he gives her a piece of paper, you know, a little folded piece of paper without a word. Mm. He doesn't say anything. And, you know, assuming that it's a phone number or like a dirty note, Schaffner uh, merely places uh, the piece of paper in her purse, you know, without looking at it. And seeing this, Cooper uh, then says to her, Miss, you'd better look at that note. So you're going to want to read what I've given you. Uh, Let's see. And Schaffner then takes the note back out and sees that it says something to the effect of, I have a bomb. I'd like you to sit next to me. Please. Which is a crazy series of things to say. (laughs) Please sit next to me. It's like, wait, what was that? It was BTK. It was like, I have a sex problem and I'm not here to rob you. It's oh like, God! No, it has kind of the same effect of that. It's like, oh my God! I'd like you to sit next to me. I have a bomb. Uh, so the reason that we don't exactly know what this note said is because you know uh, Cooper claimed that he reclaimed the piece of paper. All right, he reclaimed the piece of paper. And let's be honest, Schaffner was probably too terrified in the moment to recall the exact wording. Wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, you know, a little shock there. It's a bit. Even thinking of the word bomb on a plane seems insane now. Uh-huh. You know? Oh, uh, well. Uh, so she sits down next to Cooper, all right? And then eventually uh, musters up the courage to ask to see the bomb. She's like, That's let's see ballsy. this bomb you're talking about. Let me prove it. Prove it. <laughs> yeah, I don't see where it is. Why don't you uh, whoop it out there? So Cooper then, he, he grabbed his briefcase and he momentarily opened it revealing two rows of four sticks of what is assumed to have been dynamite. And there was a bunch of wires all messy in there and a battery. It looked like a bomb. I would say it was probably a bomb. All right. But, you know, after closing the case again, Cooper began uh, informing Schaffner of his demands, which included $200,000 in, quote, negotiable American currency. And I did the, not exchange rate, the inflation rate on that, and that is roughly $1,401,066.67. Okay. So that's a lot of money. And he wanted four parachutes, four of them specifically, and a fuel truck ready in Seattle, Tacoma uh, International Airport upon the plane's arrival. All right? This guy's got a lot of fucking demands. Yeah. He's just telling us to a 23-year-old Schaffner. Come on. Uh, Cooper then sent Schaffner up to the cockpit to relay his demands to the pilot, which she did. All right, And the pilot, William A. Scott, he contacted the air traffic control tower of Seattle Tacoma International Airport, who then contacted authorities. All right? uh-huh. So then as this was all happening, the passengers in the flight, they were told, oh, uh, the landing is going to be delayed there's a little minor, uh, you know, technical difficulties, all right? Well, just in reality, minor. yeah, just minor. But uh, in reality, they were delaying the landing so the police and the FBI could gather all the requested items. So they were just negotiating with the terrorists immediately. 
And when Schaffner returned to Cooper, he was wearing dark sunglasses. Hi, it's very <laughs> bright in here. I can't see. So I, I don't know if that's like a, like a what's that that uh, that crime show where the Who is the yeah, opening? CSI. It's like yeah, <laughs> it's like a badass moment. But all right, so he's he's getting all this money, he's getting all this stuff. Plane's delayed, landing's delayed, and uh, you know the president of the airline, Donald Nyrop. 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 Donald Nyrop, he authorized the payment uh, of the $200,000 and told all the crew to fully cooperate with Cooper's other demands. Fully cooperate. You got to cooperate with this guy, he said. So after circling the airport for about two hours, during which time Cooper maintained a you know relaxed and even pleasant demeanor. Like he, was, uh, he was like making small talk with the flight attendants. He was like... Hold on. You hold gotta on. have some food. What, what's Mitch doing? I'm over so there? sorry to interrupt. I know this is super off topic here. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. So it's a an electronic cigarette, right? That uh, the charger is broken. So just Mitch being into electricity, I was like, here's the deal. I'm just gonna like let him play with it and see what happens. And it is now nothing but string and just bolts. And he's trying to plug it in, and it's it's just loose wires and connectors. it's kind of wild looking. I'm not even gonna deny that. It's a little fucking crazy. Anyway, we can continue. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's, I can't do this. My knife, my knife uh, came, came He's going to go in the other areas to, to assemble. Well, good Lord. Wait. He's looking, what are you looking at me? All right, we'll be back in 45 milliseconds. All right, we're back. We had electronical right. questions. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, you need the enough, weed vape uh, battery, you know. Funny enough, we actually um, didn't know any of the answers to electronical questions, so... He was really asking the wrong people. Yeah. I was like, oh. We asked him because we thought he knew, but. He just took an experience to case. the next level, you know? Yeah, yeah. I respect it. I respect <laughs> the hell out of it. <laughs> well, back to Cooper, right? He's on the plane. Yeah, right? back to the. the Somehow, Cooper is, is on the plane. This is crazier than what's happening right now in our real life. So yeah, right? This guy's fucking nuts. So, so they're circling the airport. It's delayed. They're just like, oh, it's technical difficulties. But no, they're trying to, to get all this money, all this, all these gas trucks, uh-huh. and all these parachutes, right? So, uh, so yeah, Cooper, he, he was there. He maintained a, a relaxed and pleasant demeanor while he was in the sky, right? He was, like, calmly making small talk with the flight attendants. He was requesting that food be provided for the crew upon their landing. Okay. Uh, he ordered another drink, and he was trying to tip them. You know, like, he was, like, yeah, normal-ass guy. Rich, so, fucking here, take yeah, some cash. take it all. And then the plane finally landed. All right, so the FBI had gathered the ransom money from several surrounding banks, uh, documenting each bill via microfilm photograph. So they knew all the bills that they were giving him. If any of them showed up, they were like, we're going to trace this. Uh. Right, pretty smart. It was 10,000 unmarked $20 bills. Okay, so once the plane was on the ground, Cooper instructed the pilot to taxi the plane to a generally isolated part of the tarmac. Ooh, right? okay. And it was kind of brightly lit, you know, so it was, it was nice, you know, despite being in the rain. Uh-huh. And to have all of the shades in, in the windows, you know, to be pulled down so as to deter possible snipers. Okay. Smart idea. This guy's thought of everything. So, the operations manager of the airline... Al Lee. Al E. You just call him Ali, you know? Uh, okay. He arrived at the plane shortly after with a knapsack full of cash and the parachutes. I love the idea of a knapsack full of cash. It's just a weird word, knapsack. I got a knapsack full of cash and 
fucking that's about it. A knapsack. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you gotta carry it in something, and like clearly, what like at this point in the story, they're not gonna give him a briefcase, right? It's like we know. Well, no, he's already got a briefcase. That's got a bomb in it. Exactly. So it's like we're not gonna give him another one. Obviously, any rational person is gonna be like something is gonna happen. Um, so let's just give him something very malleable, and maybe he'll fuck up. You yeah, know? yeah. There you go. Knapsack. That's but what I'm thinking. Aren't the the like cases usually named after what goes in them? Like briefcase, like it's for briefings for lawyers. Yeah, it's a good question. The hell is a nap with a K? What what is that? You look that up. A nap with a K. I'm looking what's for a, it. What's a nap? All right. Let's see. Knapsack. And knapsack. Parachutes. All right. Knapsack. And I'm parachutes. on the hunt for the knapsack. All right. Well, once Cooper got all of these things, he allowed the passengers, Schaffner, and uh, another flight attendant to exit the plane, right? So at this point, flight attendant Tina Mucklow asked Cooper if he had a grudge against the Northwest Orient Airlines. To which Cooper responded, I don't have a grudge against your airline, miss. I just have a grudge. Okay. Very cryptic, I'd say. What's he got a grudge? Like the government, perhaps? I don't know. He probably knew the FBI would be involved. Who knows with this guy? I found out what a nap is. What's a nap? There's a single definition for it, okay? Yeah, is it a sack? Um, No. Uh, <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's the crest of a hill. <laughs> okay. All right, so we got some crests of hills in the sack here. Yes. Uh, all right, I'm burpy. All right. Well, refueling refueling the plane was uh it was delayed a bit, right? Uh requiring not one but two additional fuel trucks to fill up. And they didn't uh, anticipate that so they like had one truck there they were like that's not enough we gotta get another one here and it took like five minutes and then they got there and they were like it's still not enough it was just a whole big delay all right so while this seemed to make cooper uh, you know a bit agitated he maintained his composure oh know? just a little agitated. just a little agitated. he's like this is taking too long he's just a hiccup in my fucking grand scheme <laughs> he, here he gave one of the notes he gave a note to one of the flight attendants that was just like let's get the show on the road <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, he uh, he maintained his composure. He went uh, he went over a flight plan that he had with the remaining crew. All right, okay. So, Cooper said that he wanted to set a course for Mexico City, uh, going at the absolute slowest possible speed. This is where I was thinking of with the speed thing. Speed slowest possible speed. It was roughly like 115 miles an hour, and to coast at 10,000 feet. All right. So he also insisted that the landing gears be deployed at all times and the wing flaps be lowered 15 degrees and that the cabin not be pressurized. Which seems like a bad idea at 10,000 feet. Okay. But again, I would agree. I would agree. I yeah. don't know anything about flying. I don't know anything. So he also requested that the rear exit door remain opened with its staircase extended during take the takeoff of the flight and to remain like that. Though this was heavily advised against by the airline, saying that this was wildly unsafe, which it, you know it sounds that sounds about right. So Cooper heard this, and instead he decided that he could just lower it midair, and he got Mucklow to show her show him how to operate the door and staircase. Right? Yeah, Mucklow is an interesting character. Funny enough, she's actually uh, getting a movie based on her life. What? Um, she didn't even have much to do with this. 
Yeah, but she was like, she was the one that had the most interaction with him personally, like during the the situation, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, like Schaffner was the initial one, but I guess yeah, Mucklow probably had the most like downtime with him during yeah. the flight, you know. And it, it's more of like a, it, it, what I was reading, it's not like a, about her life. It's more about how the events of this day like altered her life uh. and the perspective and shit. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it, she, it, it's interesting because there's a lot of testimony that follows just her and her interaction with the day. Interesting. And it makes I sense, I guess. It's probably like a 10-part series, like an hour each part. And at the end, it's just, I can't believe they haven't found him. I'm almost like, confident <laughs> if I read it correctly, it's a movie. What? It's like yeah. a cinematic thing? Yeah, so I don't I don't know if it's going to be like documentary style. I don't think so. Wow. Um. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. All right. Well, in any case, she she like showed him how to operate the back door and staircase, right? So Cooper, he was then informed uh, that with all of these very specific factors that like taken into account, you know, all the things that he said he wanted the plane to do and all the states of things, uh-huh. um, the plane would need another refueling, uh, you know, another stop before entering Mexico. So he and the crew then decided together that the second refueling would take place at the Reno Tahoe International Airport. All right, so they're going to Reno. After Cooper got uh, got the goods, you know, and the plan was all laid out, around 7:40 p.m., the 727 was back in the air. Okay. You know, they're just they're off. They're off. And now with only Cooper, uh, flight attendant Mucklow, the two pilots and a flight engineer. All right, so that's all who's on the plane. The FBI arranged for two F-106 fighter jets to shadow the plane. Uh, Bad one, idea. Maybe. Who knows? One was flying above, one was flying below. Maybe it's a good formation. Yeah, the, the Mighty Ducks formation, you know, the flying V. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, going, they're in like a vertical V. And they're know? going south. It just makes so much. It's beautiful nature. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, Cooper and Mucklow were sitting together, uh, you know, in the in the passenger section, the cabin, if you will, of the plane, uh, while the rest of the crew was in the cockpit. Cooper, then, you know, like shortly after they took off, uh, he told her to go, you know, join her coworkers in the cockpit. You know, maybe get get away from me. He said, and it's, you know, to make sure that the curtains were drawn at all times as well. He was like, "You go up there and you don't look at me." All right, don't look at me. <laughs> you don't look at me ever. Uh, so right, so that was like 7.40, right? And around 8 o'clock, the crew in the cockpit saw a warning light come on, all right, indicating that the rear exit of the plane was open and the stairs were being lowered. So cooperating with Cooper's request that they all remain in the cockpit, the cabin intercom was used by the pilots to ask if Cooper needed any assistance. Do you need any assistance? Are you Okay. Mr. Badman with the bomb, do you need any help? <laughs> we'll get you another drink, yeah. Uh, so he picked, uh, you know, Cooper actually picked up the cabin phone, said, no, and was never seen or heard from again. <laughs> no. So, <laughs> no, and that's the last thing anyone ever heard of him. <laughs> so, Some two or three hours later, the plane lands at the Reno Tahoe International Airport, with the rear exit and stairs still deployed. All right, so FBI, state troopers, sheriff deputies, and the Reno police, they were all there on the ground ready to take over the situation. But they were maintaining a distance because, you know, uh, a bomb. 
there was a bomb there, theoretically. Theoretically. Theoretically, it may have just been hot dogs and wire. But after the crew was off of the plane and the pilots, uh, the pilots, they confirmed that Cooper was no longer on the plane. And the FBI uh, bomb squad, after a 30-minute sweep, also confirmed that the bomb was gone as well. All right? All right. So everything's just gone. What they did find on the plane, however, were 66 unidentified fingerprints. Ooh, Which is kind of interesting, lot. but also, like, how often do you, like, clean every square inch of a plane? Yeah, it's like, I, mean, I mean, think about anything. Even places that are highly disinfected and cleaned, there's going to be fingerprints. There's going to be some fingerprints in there. Like, if, if it's where people are at, that's just... That's part of the course. They believe they leave them all the time. Also, confer- yeah, they, uh, bomb's gone. Uh, 66 unidentified fingerprints. Cooper's tie, the tie clip and the clip tie, they were also there. Yes, right? they were. And two of the four parachutes, one with its shroud lines missing. And that's just like the strings that attach it from like the harness to the actual chute. Yes, right? yes, that is true. It's true. The shroud lines were missing on one of the two that remained. So some uh, some speculate that these lines were missing. Uh, in these lines missing in were indicates. Fuck. What is this sentence I wrote? Some speculate that these lines being missing indicates he may have used them to secure both uh, the money and the bomb to his person before jumping out of the plane. Oh, All right. Okay. It was it was a trick, but we got there. That was a trick, but that we made it. was a trick. All right, so some of the FBI, uh, so, it, you know, not some of the, so the FBI, all right, they go to work on trying to find this guy, all right, or at least figure out who he was, you know, at very least. So they took multiple eyewitness accounts and made up a composite sketch. Have you seen this composite sketch? Yes. He looks like the most normal man in the world. Oh, yeah. He looks like feisty, maybe like a, a short gangster, but other than that, it seems like he's just an accountant. Yeah, he's just like, I'm looking at him right now. And then I like how they aged him as well. Yeah. He just looks the <laughs> they same. They aged the composite sketch. Yeah, he just looks exactly uh, the same. That's fun. Well, so, uh, the you know, uh, the, then they started uh, questioning possible suspects. The first man that they interviewed, his name was D.B. Cooper. Okay, so he was quickly dismissed from the list of suspects after questioning because they were just like, it was not this fucking guy. Yeah, you wouldn't like, be that definitely you're, not. you're not that smart and stupid. Yeah, but I mean, he was the FBI's best bet if it just so happened that this guy didn't use an alias. You know, they, they kind of had to talk to him. Strangely enough, it's this man's name rather than Dan Cooper, which is what the hijacker, you know, claimed his name to be. This was the name that the news glommed onto. All right, all thanks to a journalist named James Long, who initially confused the eliminated suspect's name with that of the hijacker. So D.B. Cooper is not what he signed his name as. It was Dan Cooper. There was no B in there. Okay. All right? But, the you know, uh, James Long printed it, so now everyone just calls him D.B. Cooper. Right, yeah. That makes sense. And um, interestingly enough, that uh, it it comes up later during. I mean, obviously, there's thousands of investigations, right? Like we know that there's a lot of stuff. Um, it's never ending, but they believe that it was an alias purposely used um, for the reason. I'm trying to. Yeah, here it is. Um, it was an alias because in France, 
France. Was, well, not in France specifically, but it was written in French. Okay. But there was a Belgian comic series featuring the fictional hero by the name of Dan Cooper. All right, that's kind of cool. Who happened to be a Royal Canadian Air Officer test pilot. Oh. So it was, I mean, it, it could be nothing, but it was just a connection that was made um, for obvious that's reasons. That's pretty cool. We know, you know? Yeah. Um, but um, there's no way of knowing if that's, you know, just a circumstance or what. Yeah. But it is, it is out there in the world. Yeah, so D.B. Cooper is really just Dan Cooper, but even that's... Most likely not his name. Yeah, probably yeah. not. It's a small difference, but it's there. Uh, so authorities really had no idea where to start their search either. Uh, so the variables of when he jumped and how long he after he jumped, did he pull his chute, and in which direction did he go after pulling it is a pretty enormous area of possibility oh, yeah. as to where this guy could be. Um, so somehow the FBI and the police figured out that uh, the most likely place to search was around the southernmost part of Mount St. Helens, near like a multitude of lakes and rivers. Okay. Right? So search parties were sent out to comb the wilderness. Uh, likewise, they were uh, individually checking farmhouses, you know, questioning the occupants. It's like, you had any like people with a bunch of money fly into your barns lately? Like, yeah, just a little bit. You know, you that know, kind anything of thing. of the sort? Anything like that. Maybe he might have a second parachute, a bomb. So the FBI uh, even coordinated an aerial search, you know, but even this, it garnered no results, right? Mm. And after the winter months, because they were just like, oh, maybe all we need is a good thaw, uh, the FBI uh, conducted another search, this time accompanied by 200 military, like army soldiers, and it lasted for 36 days, still nothing. Damn. Found absolutely nothing. Yeah, and you... I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you can scour a lot of land and a lot of places with that much manpower and that much time. Yeah. Even if you think they're working in, we'll, we'll be extremely generous in their work day, and we'll say they were working in four-hour shifts. You got 200 people working four hours a day minimum just looking. You're going to find something if it's there. For a full right? month. Over a month. Over a month. A month and a week. How about that? A month and a week. Yeah. In March and April. Yeah. So yeah. we have significant manpower that is out there doing this research and nothing's coming up and no answers being found. No, nope, still absolutely nothing. A company called Electronic Explorations Company even used a submarine to map and explore the bodies of water in the area. Still okay. to no avail. All right. They found nothing in the water. All right. So what, what was found... Uh, as a result of the search party, was the skeletal remains of a young girl who'd gone missing several weeks prior, but that is just sad and has nothing to do with cool heists. No, that's so, just unfortunate timing. Just thought I'd mention it. Let's forget it even happened. All right. I mean, let's not forget that it happened, but we, we don't have to be like upset about it. We can try to think positive. Yeah. Maybe she was a bitch. Maybe. Maybe we could just talk about the heists again. Yeah, the heist of this girl's spirit. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the stupidest way you could describe murder. It's like, I heisted your soul. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what happened, you know? I don't know. I don't fucking know. I like it. But, uh, yeah, anyways. All right, so, yeah, it's, it, she's dead. Uh, the next best bet to possibly, you know, find Cooper was to find and track the money that he was given. All right? It makes sense. It was this whole plan from the beginning. Smart. But even this had next to no results. Eventually... 
news outlets were allowed to uh, publish the actual serial numbers of the bills Cooper was given and even offered monetary rewards for any of the bills that matched. And the only thing to come out of this, uh, you know, know, all these offers of money and rewards, counterfeiters looking to scam the news. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, that is until 1980. When a man raking a riverbank, uh, you know, to start a fire, he's kind of like clearing the area. He came across three bundles of cash. All right. And the bills were heavily deteriorated, but the FBI was able to confirm that they were indeed the bills that they'd given Cooper. Oh, all right? yeah. And they were all in the, they were in the same order that they once were. Crazy. So this caused like a whole except, new series. Except... What? There were three, you know, this is for real. There's three bundles of like 100 bills, you know? 120s, yeah. And oh, yeah, there was some missing and from one of them. In the third bundle, there was only 90. So there was. Where's the cash? 290 bills were found out of a stack of what would be 300 bills. Good Lord. What happened to that money? Oh, oh, it's interesting. What happened to the money? What's very interesting, even further about that, I know this is kind of getting getting into more like nitty gritty, but the money specifically after I mean they've been they researched that money forever. Like yeah, they, I got some uh, some crazy results that even just in 2020 they found some shit. Yeah, and the money itself is a a big key component, but really the the meat and potatoes of the money argument being found is that. Um, Research would show that it was not buried intentionally, or was it in the water anywhere near the time of the hijacking? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things I have. Um, So, yeah, there was a bunch of tests run on the money, and it was concluded that the money hadn't even entered the water in the river until several months after the hijacking. That was what they found in 2020. I don't know how they found that. I was fucking crazy. But in any case, these three wads of cash are the only pieces of evidence surrounding the hijacking that were ever discovered outside of the plane. Mm-hmm. The only things. Uh, I mean, sort of in the end, like the FBI announced on July 8th of 2016 that after 45 years, they were suspending the investigation to focus manpower on more pressing matters. And this case remains the only unsolved case of air piracy in history. Yes. To this day. Yes, it very much does. It could, I nowadays it really couldn't happen. I don't think only because everything is so van or safeguarded with yeah, you know, cameras and equipment and technology and air marshals and shit. I mean, like this heist, no, I, is it a heist? Piracy? I get. I I think it's a heist, but this actually like did start the whole like metal detectors and that kind of thing in airports, mm-hmm. and then nine eleven just turned that up to eleven. Yeah. You know what I mean? Now yeah. we're being scanned, full body scanned. Yeah. So the there's a few pieces of intriguing detail about the heist itself. So we're going to rewind for a moment and just kind of go over some of the, the grander scheme of things, okay? Yeah. So first off, why this specific plane on this specific day? Well... Pretty much the the only thing that we can generally agree on um, as far as people researching it and the actual FBI investigators is that D.B. Cooper was highly trained and highly knowledgeable of aircraft because, well, I shouldn't even say because, 
there are many specific reasons as to what leads them to think that. First and foremost, the plane itself. Nobody would have known this at that time. This was not well-known information. The, the plane specifically did not have an override button for the air stairs in the cockpit. The only model of its type that did not have that. So, was that just blind luck? I mean, Probably it not. could have been. Like he he had uh, he had the flight attendant like show him how to use that. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But you hold, know on, what I mean? hold on, hold on. All right, there's more. That could have been playing dumb. There's more to this. It is the only plane at that time in existence where the air stairs could be opened mid-flight without causing destruction to the plane. And specifically, the only reason that that was that plane was because these were used during Vietnam to drop cargo and weapons and things of that nature while flying over. Yeah. And that specifically leads a lot of people to think maybe he wasn't some trained pilot, but he had knowledge of aircraft in some capacity. Yeah, I I did read like a one theory where they were just like it might be just like a paratrooper. Yeah. You know? There yeah, there's a lot of theories that go around that. Interestingly enough, the plane itself, as we've already talked about, is it's it's strange that he would have this knowledge, you know? Yeah, or it could be blind luck, who knows. It very I, well could I be. I do know that after this happened they did like modify all the planes so that you could not do that. Right. No, no, <laughs> like, no yeah. Like, it was is... this event specifically that they were just like, no, we got to put a kibosh to that. Yeah. No, no, no. You could never do that. Um, it, it's very strange. I mean, there's, there's a lot of technical things that go into planes that I'm in no way aware of. We're not pilots. No, 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 no. Um, but it's weird because. This is one of the planes. This is another interesting detail. It's one of the very few planes that you could jump out of and not be in the exact trail of exhaust, which could cause death. Many problems. Yeah, a lot of things would um, go wrong there. There there are three engines, but it, it it couldn't be done in many other planes. Also, it had what's called a single point fueling capability. So it had all these different engines, right? But it could be rapidly fueled from one single point in the plane. So it, you didn't have to fill each tank. It would fill everything at once. Oh, so that's probably why the, the fuel trucks, like, they had to get multiple ones because they weren't used to just, like, a single exactly fuel to, like, doing all the engines at once. Interesting. And, again, this is one of those details that, at this time, I mean, this is just kind of conjecture. I'm not positive that this is true. We don't know about anything. No one knows about this. But I don't think that that would have been common knowledge, especially among just fuel tanks, you know, like fuel tanker guys. Yeah, I'm a fuel tank, uh, you know, aficionado. Like, you hear about planes, and they're like, we got to refuel this plane. It's like, well, I guess let's send a couple, because that's probably typically what we do, you know? Yeah. Um, And it was one of the only planes of its kind at that time, that could fly at such a low, um, oh, what's a low height? That's not like the right word I'm looking for. Altitude. Altitude, thank you. It could fly at such a low altitude at a low speed without danger of the engine stalling out. Yeah, and that was the specific request of him. He's like, you need to fly this as slow as you can 
at this specific altitude. And if you go, like, they were, like, if they went any slower than the way that they were going, they would have stalled out. Right. Like, that's how fucking slow. And um, kind of going back to what we said, even the flight crews were not made aware of these details. So the thing about the air stairs, um, the engines, the fueling, this was not this was not common knowledge for the flight crews other than maybe the pilots because it was something that they deemed as we would never have to do that. Yeah. Even in an emergency situation, we would like land the plane. You know, we would Yeah, and then those big jump out. fun orange slides would come out. Right. So obviously this led people to think that he was some Big wig, possibly in the Air Force, possibly like we, Jake said, a paratrooper. Yeah. Um. But they're going to go on record and assume that he was not a paratrooper. Okay. Who the FBI? And this is from Special Agent Larry Carr, who led like the invest- investigation team from twenty two thousand six to twenty sixteen when it was dissolved. Yeah. And. This is what he thought. He suggested that D.B. Cooper was an aircraft cargo loader, not a paratrooper. Okay. Very specific uh, job. And this is why. Because an assignment like that would have given him knowledge and experience in the aviation field, specifically with loading and unloading planes, because that's how they throw the cargo out of a flying aircraft, you know? Yeah. Um. And he would also obviously know, you know, the basics of parachuting, things like that, because that's, you know, it's kind of what you need to know to that's, do that. Yeah, it's just a regular, it's like knowing CPR if you're working food, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is where he comes to the conclusion that it would have given him just enough knowledge to be able to do something like this, not necessarily the whole heist, but to be able to get himself out of a moving plane safely. Yeah. Um, now, th- this guy, this special agent, he does not believe that D.B. Cooper survived. Yeah, I I saw a lot of that. It's like sort of just like an overarching theory that a lot of people just keep going back to is that he probably just died immediately. And, like, the money that you found was probably just, it fell out of his hanging corpse in some tree into a river or some shit. Right. But... That w- that's all well and good, right? We can understand the basics of like jumping out of a plane isn't simple. It's not simple, nor I do I recommend it. But that certainly does not explain the fact that the money was found years later, seemingly moved or purposefully handled. It seems like I mean, mm. It's and, it's difficult to say because like I don't know like money can just kind of float loose from a bundle of money, but also the weird, the fact that they ran tests on it and it wasn't it it was revealed that it wasn't in the water until months after the heist. Right. That's the only thing that I'm like, what the fuck, you know? Yeah, and that's what makes it so so fucking weird because I'm just it's it's hard to describe. Obviously, we don't understand what happened to that money. There's no trail. We don't have any leads. It hasn't resurfaced in anywhere to this day. Like, none of that money, aside from what was found by the river, has ever resurfaced in the marketplace, Mm -hmm. you know? Anywhere. So, 
this is it's a very strange situation. Now, obviously, we have tons of suspects. There's people that have been suspected forever. Um, interesting. I'll just read some of the names. I mean, I don't want to sit here and go through each and every one of them because no, there's not enough evidence to even support that they are remotely linked. Because if they were, they'd be far like way more questioning oh, yeah. done on these people. Yeah, I looked through a bunch of the possible suspects, and none of them like really jumped out. The only reason I mentioned DB Cooper was because that journalist fucked his name up, and now DB Cooper is who we think it was. Exactly. But it's Dan. So we have Kenneth Peter Christensen. How about that? That's a good old American corn-fed name. And this story, you might have seen this one circulating on the internet um, a few years back, because this is the one that I'm, I'm a little bit more familiar with. Um, so what had happened, Lyle Christensen was watching a documentary about D.B. Cooper in 2003, okay? Classic. Classic. Sounds like me this week. Classic Lyle Christensen. Um, and after viewing, he was convinced that his brother, Kenneth, Kenneth Peter Christensen, Kenneth. who had died in 1994, was the titular D.B. Cooper. Cooper, sorry, not Cooper. <laughs> I like Cooper, but more. So he kept going back and forth. The FBI wouldn't listen to him. They were kind of like, well, I mean, okay, but we don't really have any evidence. <laughs> you got to believe me. My... My dead brother's a criminal. You got to do something. Yeah, so what he did, he contacted uh, Nora Ephron, who was a filmmaker, and they were hoping to get a movie made about it and kind of get the case out there into the world again, get people excited about it. Um, when that didn't pan out, he contacted a private investigator in New York City named Skip Porteous. Of course his name is Skip. Yeah. Um, and this is where they published the book about, uh, you know, Kenneth being the possible D.B. Cooper. Um, the following year uh, on the history, uh, sorry, it was a history series called Brad Meltzer's Decoded. Um, and what they did is they kind of linked a lot of the circumstantial evidence and made a little TV documentary about it. Okay. It's kind of nice. Um. So a little background on him. Christensen was in the army in 1990, 1944, sorry. Jesus. And he was a paratrooper. Uh World War II was ended by the time he was deployed in 45, but he still would do like training jumps in Japan and stuff like that in the late 40s. Um after he left the army, he joined what was called the Northwest Orient in 1954 as a mechanic. All right? Okay. So that All right. And then after that, he became a flight attendant. So he's been around planes his whole life. He loves planes, it seems. Mm -hmm. uh, he was 45 years old at the time of D.B. Cooper's hijacking, but he was significantly shorter and skinnier than the eyewitness descriptions. Okay. Significantly. All right. Enough to where you could look at him and like, be like, that doesn't fit the profile. He's like gaunt. Yeah. He's like, oh, God, eat. Um, so the, a lot of the circumstantial evidence, you want to hear what the circumstantial evidence is here? I would love to hear what the circumstantial evidence is. He loved smoking cigarettes. Okay. Just like D.B. Cooper was smoking a cigarette. All right. And his favorite drink was bourbon. And soda. The drink that D.B. Cooper had drank so wait, on the plane. Those were the only things? Yeah. 
Um, people said that the photos of Christensen fit the memory of the hijacker's appearance. Appearance, sorry. Appearance. Uh, but they could not like actually pin him down to doing it. Um, after all this, um, the FBI has openly come out and said that there's no way that this is the guy. Um, it just doesn't fit. Um, they said there's no real connection in the eyewitness like reports. Um, all this evidence that they have is very ridiculous. I mean, yeah, you're a guy that grew up in roughly the same era as the hijacker, and you just so happened to smoke cigarettes and like bourbon and be into planes. I think a lot of people who grew up during the 40s and 50s really liked cigarettes and bourbon. Yeah. You know, yeah, I yeah. feel like that was just kind of like milk, mm-hmm. coffee. Um, so there's a lot, I mean, there's more people. I'll give you some names here if you'd like to read more about it, uh, the listeners out there. Um, we have Jack Cuffelt. Cuffelt. Uh, Lynn Doyle Cooper, L.D. Cooper. Oh. Um, then we have Barbara Dayton. A woman? Why, what? Well, what had happened was there, Barbara was actually born under a different name, Robert. And after the war in 1969, had undergone gender reassignment surgery. Wow, but back in the day, I didn't know that even happened back then. And the thing that really throws them off, at least of this specific trail, is that it uh, the gender reassignment surgery was previous to the hijacking, and they're like, "There's no way, like they they couldn't fuck up the details that bad." You know what I mean? Hmm. That's what they're thinking. Obviously, there's not like a ton of evidence to support it. Yeah, I anyway. can't imagine she was like taking tea to where she was like mm-hmm. getting the the features over a span of time. But right hmm. and then we got John List, yeah. Ted Mayfield, Richard McCoy Jr., uh, Sheridan Peterson, Sheridan, Robert Rackstraw, Walter R. Recca, William J. Smith. Dwayne L. Weber. How about all that? <laughs> nice. Nice. They're so, all D.B. Cooper in my book. Yeah, and it, there was a video that surfaced, and I tried to find it, but it I don't I don't have enough details to go on. I believe it was the first guy I was talking about, Christensen. Yeah. Um, I think it was part of, like, their story. And on the flip side of that, like, I was watching some of their videos, and there was another one unrelated to Christensen where a private team of investigators had thought that they got D.B. Cooper, they knew who he was, and they talked to this old gentleman. And the old guy, um, they were, like, asking him questions. They were like, do you know who D.B. Cooper is? And he pretty much was like, stop fucking talking to me. Get away from me. Oh, yeah, you said his face just went, like, immediately, like, stoic. And he's like, get out of here. Yeah, so it's weird. Um, again, that's just as circumstantial of evidence. Um, like, first off, that guy could be just lying or joking. Maybe he knows the story. Maybe he just, uh, hates people talking to him. Yeah, maybe he just doesn't want to be bothered. I don't know. Like, there's a lot that goes into that detail. Do you're that old and people start talking to you about stuff you don't want to talk about, you, you just have a pass. You're like, all right, we're going to talk about what I like or you're going to fucking leave. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Um... In 1976, there was a big issue that came up with this case. And the issue was that the statute of limitations was about to be reached. Yeah. 
And they, after a lot of discussion and a lot of, you know, back and forth, they realized, like, you know, the statute of limitations, it, it's very different uh, for each case. But they ultimately decided that um, no matter what happens, throughout the perpetuity of time, if any information were to come out about D.B. Cooper that was substantial, um, the statute of limitations would not apply. So that really? goes for even to today... If there were evidence to support that that we had the guy, we knew who he was, um, that it wouldn't, you know. Man, that's so weird. Because, yeah. like, if you think about it, like, this really didn't hurt anyone. Mm-mm. Like, he, he, like, there were no injuries, no deaths. Not, it, I mean, maybe him, but that's beside the point. Like, no one was negatively affected by this. And that that seems like a very harsh punishment for <laughs> Yeah. Like, if they find him. Well, and that's the one thing that I really, really want to just... Uh, the, the thing that grabs my perspective and makes me shape my whole thought process on this is the fact that all these investigators claim that there's no way he would have survived, right? That's what they say? Yeah. That is what every investigator says when they know they can't get an answer to the question. It's the same thing that happened to the Alcatraz individuals that escaped... Like, there's no way they could have lived. And then years later, abundant proof came out that they did survive. Yeah. That even kind of happened with the BTK after he went silent. He, like, went into hiding for, mm-hmm. like, eight years to raise his kids. They were just like, oh, he's probably, like, in jail or dead. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, well, so, no. And here's my counter offer to this. The people that think he did not survive the events of that day. How could you pull off such a grand heist? extremely successfully i mean no injuries no casualties no damage to anything other than just money in your pocket yeah he did cut up that parachute you probably can't use that parachute anymore no he probably can't but why would that why would we assume that someone that successful and that well planned out and thought out person wouldn't be able to get out of there, or at least make an attempt to. Yeah, I can't imagine he would like make that plan so specifically and well, and then just the last ultimate thing he does, which is jumping out of the plane, he's like, all right, I have no plan for after this. Yeah, we're just going <laughs> to see know? what happens. We're going to try to just get out of here. It's probably Switzerland. You probably just put it all in there. Yeah, and it, you know? to me, that's ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm not saying he's alive right now. Oh, he's it, probably real dead. Forever. Um but I I would 100% be willing to bet that D.B. Cooper, or whatever the fuck you want to call him, he survived that day. He I think he did. He did. Why not? He's probably, yeah, like you said, he's probably dead now. It was like 50 years ago. They said he was in his 40s. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. There's older people in the world. But still, if he's not dead yet, he's on his way out. Yeah, he's close. He's closing in. He's, he's running down that timer. Yeah. But the the whole story of this is it's really crazy i mean this guy goes into a fucking plane demands not even asking demands money but he's also being real nice yeah he's not like he's a dick t- he's tipping the waitresses or not the flight attendants i'm sorry if that was disparaging he's not ruffling any feathers yeah he's not doing anything he's like he was looking out the window at one point he was like oh it looks uh, the city looks beautiful from up here he was just talking like that and then wearing sunglasses, so cool. This is how you know for a fact this dude was not like a crazy psychopath. Why? When they landed the plane, like the initially, you know, 
Yeah. That that's all the proof you need that this dude did not go in there with the intention of hurting anybody. His intention was purely this is the plan of getting the money we're yeah. getting the fuck out. No, I'm convinced that the suitcase just had a bunch of uh, wieners in it. Oh, I would 100% Just a bunch of ballpark that. wieners with a bunch of wire that he got at the hardware store. No, you're definitely... And a battery. Just a battery. We completely <laughs> like, agree on that because a guy this well thought out and this calculated would not need to bring a bomb. Like, he just wouldn't because no. that, that, that wasn't probably, the end game. That would honestly probably be detrimental to his plan because he's like, there's nitroglycerin in these fucks. Right. I can't risk that. I would be you know? willing to. I would be willing to venture a guess... And say that in Dan Cooper's mind during the events, like leading up to that day and on that day, the intention was not only to never hurt anybody, but instead of dying, he would probably have rather been caught. Yeah. And not for the fame or the fortune, but simply for the fact that a guy that's not willing to hurt or even take hostage individuals is definitely thinking about his life. Yeah, and the after effects of what would come from that event. Yeah, you know, dude, a lot of people like uh, did uh, copycat sorts of things like immediately after. Like there oh, was yeah. a rash, like not a rash. Uh, is that a good word for it? That's a, yeah, a rash of Rampa- sky pirates. A rampant rash of sky pirates. Yeah, it just emerged at like in the years afterward, and it was only after they beefed up like the security at the airports, like a little baby version of what we got today. That <clears throat> I'm burping a lot today. It kind of stopped, you know. Yeah, it's and this is where I'm. I'm not trying to paint Dan Cooper as like a good guy. Um, obviously, he's doing some villainous things, but it really could have gone a very different way. Uh, many a time, to be honest. And I think the prime example, and I know that this can go either way, so it's important to point out both sides. The fact that he never entered the cockpit while the pilots were in there was a lot of people use that as he was afraid that he would be overpowered by the pilots. I don't necessarily think that's true. I think it's more he didn't want anything to escalate. Like, he was comfortable where he was at. In a way, those two things are the same, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, like, I feel like it was definitely on purpose. He was in the back, so he could see anyone coming that Mm -hmm. was from the front, and he could be like, I have this bomb. And I I can do whatever I'm going to do with it to make it go off before you get to me. So it was definitely on purpose. Like, he probably was afraid of confrontation in that sense. And that's what, to me, I think it's important to understand that if you're afraid of being in that confrontation, you're, again, you're not mentally equipped or physically equipped to kill individuals that would get in your way. Yeah. And that was not his M.O. Because he very easily could... He could have killed like 100 people if he felt like it. You yeah. know what I this mean? This guy was like Walter White season one. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's he's like on the verge of criminality, but he's still he's not like comfortable with killing people quite yet. You know what I mean? No, I think that's an excellent comparison. It's like he's smart. He's definitely dabbling in the underbelly of society, but in a way that's unique and almost impossible to track he's the one who knocks yeah Yeah. right now he 100 percent is and it's i i personally do not think that he died on that day i'm gonna go out on a limb and say he survived i'm gonna say it's about 80 percent he lived 20 percent maybe he just fucking you know 
Right into the riverbank. Yeah, you never know. Who knows? I mean, things can happen. Hanging from a tree, maybe the money fell out after a squirrel got curious. And yeah, it's just everything about it is very mysterious. And it, I'm pretty confident in saying that we're not going to get any answers now because crime shows, magazines, the news, everybody wants to go out and tell you yeah. that we have all this technology and we can go back into cold cases and find things we never found. While we may have very smart detectives that are capable of, you know, connecting the dots, yeah, you'll never get a definitive answer because it's just too far away. Well, it's you can never really get a definitive answer, but you can That's definitely take take leaps and bounds like towards one. Like we, you know, definitely, like even the zodiac educated assumptions. The zodiac even Dietlov Pass. Yeah, like we have ideas, but there's never going to be, never going to be a perfect answer or something that I think will ever be generally accepted yeah i mean like even that very recent thing those like uh, independent investigators who were they were just like we know who the zodiac is me and you were both just like ah it's probably bullshit yeah (laughs) you know just immediately like (laughs) i don't believe it and it's it maybe it's a maybe it's a sense of like bias of like you enjoy the mystery of it all but i think a good portion of it is there's no just because what we have now technologically it doesn't mean that we can go back in time and use our technology on that. Yeah. You know? I mean, dude, I was even talking, I was talking to Carlton about this today, the Dietlov Pass uh, incident. Mm-hmm. And do you remember, like, I think it was a couple weeks or something after we did that episode, there were some scientists who were just like, they literally applied the snow, the physics of the snow in the movie Frozen to the mountain because it was so accurate to how snow actually interacts with like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And they figured out like just something new. I can't remember exactly what it was, but they were just like, yeah, this is totally possible that they were just buried. Yeah. You know, you never know. It's insane. And that that's essentially Dan Cooper. That's Dan Cooper, not DB, but it is DB Cooper. Dan, but it's not out Cooper. Yeah. How about that? How about that? He was he was up there in the sky. But yeah, we um, this was an it's an interesting take because it's something very off the beaten path of what we would typically do. I'd say it's more of a it's more of like a, it, I mean yeah it's a crime but it's just it's not like a violent. Crime. This is just a guy going skydiving with a lot more uh, monetary cargo than usual. It's sort it's sort of like a this will be a, it's a mysterious history. All right, it's like if someone skydove with like thirteen Rolexes. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, you know? what the fuck? And he was like, oh, this is my name, but it wasn't his name. It's one of those history mysteries. That's what we're going to be calling the episodes like this. And I call let's combine those. History. No. Or no. maybe it's mystery. Neither of the you, two. Everyone's take. picturing how I think it's spelled. No. Everyone no. is. No. Grant. No. I know it's March. You're very combative. No. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, 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 yeah. that was our episode for this week. Um, we will be back. We're going to be doing... Um, it's It hasn't even been storyboarded yet, but it's no. just going to happen. It's going to be like a series of loosely related yeah, things. The best way to describe this, I don't know, uh, for movie people out there, you know, like the Shaun of the Dead movie, uh, th- it's like a trilogy of movies that, that came out. It's like, yeah, it's Shaun of the Dead, what is it, Hot Fuzz. And, yeah, this is the, or not this is the end, uh, the bar one. Um, 
you guys know what I'm talking about. Isn't it's, the bar one Shaun of the Dead? No, it's um, At World's End. That's what it is. Oh. Wait, let me look that up. That's, I know that's fucking... That might be a different thing in my mind. But that's that, Pirates of the Caribbean nothing. for sure. Um, <laughs> but it, it's got to be something else. I'm going to figure gonna say, this And out. then this is it. Isn't that all those celebrities playing themselves and there's a giant like demon monster with a big dick? Yeah. I'm going to I'm going to figure this out. I right. I've only seen that movie once. It sucks when we have to research a comparison we're making. It's The World's End. World's End. Um but yeah, that's a, the the trilogy of movies. They're nowhere near related, but they're extremely loosely based on the idea of like mystery, kind of supernatural, scary, funny. Yeah. Um we're going to be doing our own kind of version of that over the course of the next couple of weeks. Um it was. It's. It might take a minute. It so might we'll, be over a month. Yeah, it's going to be a minute, but it's going to be very interestingly topical slash historical slash conspiracy. It's going to have everything you want. Yeah, there's going to be bullets. There's going to be people screaming. Uh, yeah, that is true. There's going to be of talks that. of the government. There's going to be talks of laws and rules and regulations. Bullies and people who aren't bullies that are labeled bullies, and then oh, they're dead. And yeah, combat veterans and um, completely unrealistic uh, outputs that were put out by the news. Yeah, it's good. It, you're gonna. We I got, think you guys will love it. Yeah. It's something that, as far as I'm aware, is not a arc as far as stories go. That is super out there right now. So it's kind of new and not new, but it's refreshing to hear. We're trying to break new ground. Yeah, so you guys are definitely gonna enjoy it. Um, but we will start that next week with a brand new episode on Friday. So I no, hope it's you guys true. will love it. We'll and also be back on Thursday for the Patreon. Yeah, we will. That's what we do. We're the here. Patreon, we love you guys. You should go there. You can listen to all our stuff, and we'll send you a shirt. All right, there's a link below for that. Also, you can follow us on all the shit, because we are starting a cult. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And startacult at gmail.com. Send us a picture of your hair. Do it. Yeah, maybe your hair, like it, whether it's spelled with the A R E or A I R, either one. And we're also on YouTube. Like and subscribe there. Yes. Enjoy your next week. Possibly some nicer weather, depending on what parts of the world you're in. Who knows? Maybe it's warming up. I don't know what's it's happening. Warming you guys. up. Um, but we will certainly be back next week to talk. Uh, final uh, little Easter egg for you. We'll be talking about a pretty much strictly American problem. For oh, the next very much weeks. so. So, we'll be back. We love you guys very much. Have a great one. It's true. Mitch just farted. I think Grant just farted. I did. Oh, God. If I try to fart, I'm going to poop my pants. What else? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.